your journey is your journey and the next step will become clear when it's time to become clear. You can't have growth without the darkness. You can't have resilience without sitting on the depths of that dark floor. Like for so long, I'd hold on to this one idea of success and I'd hold on to it so tightly that it was almost like a tunnel vision. But when you do that, you just become so blind to all the opportunities that present themselves along the path. What is meant for us finds us. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy, and fulfillment along the way. I mean, you know, I'm no stranger to a fangirl moment, but this one is really up there. Having followed her journey for over a decade and poured over her fabulous new book of Golden Dust, our guest this week is none other than the wonderful Samantha Wills. You may have heard parts of how she grew her multi-million dollar global eponymous jewelry label from her kitchen table and the Bondi markets at just 21 years old to a string of stores from Singapore to New York and the likes of JLo, Eva Mendes and Katy Perry clamoring to wear her jewelry. For any aspiring business owners listening, she has so much to share about the 12 years it took her to an overnight success, covering the scale up, brand growth, community building and taking things one chapter at a time. Her brilliant new book also reveals some of the more character-building shitter bits, as you know I like to call them, along the way from having $80,000 of debt, burnout, personal turmoil, and crippling imposter syndrome. I didn't even realize that Samantha was a TAFE double dropout. But what I found most fascinating about her story is that just when Samantha Wheel's jewelry had truly solidified itself as an undeniable global success, Samantha closed the business and walked away from it all. For someone as fascinated as I am by redefining the metrics by which you measure your life, knowing when your jigsaw puzzle needs a shake-up and choosing happiness before success, this was such an engaging chat. I barely even knew where to start, particularly after reading her fabulous book. I hope it's as enlightening and eye-opening for you guys as it was for me. Samantha Wills, welcome to Seize the A. I can't believe this day has arrived. Oh, it's such a treat (laughs) to be here. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I have followed you for the longest time and you have had such a big influence on my personal journey and reading your book brought me to tears. I was just telling you, it's like we've been, you took us through every single moment and I just wish I could hug you right now. (laughs) That's so sweet. Thank you. As I said, I think the bits that that you cried out are probably the ones that I cried out writing. So I do think there's a a connection for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's an absolute privilege to have you here. Again, just saying, Samantha Wills, welcome to CZA, something I never thought I would be able to say. So I'm absolutely thrilled. And I was saying to you before we started recording that I almost wish I hadn't read the book because now I don't know where to start. I'm like, there's so much stuff to talk about. (laughs) But I do start every episode with a little icebreaker to ask everyone what the most down to earth thing is about them to break through the often really glossy surface of our projected identities. And especially with the successes as remarkable as your own. I love that 
the intro of the book right up front acknowledges that nothing faces the sun all the time and there's a whole, I think you referred to it as a parallel experience alongside the outer reality that the news media always focus on and that, you know, get mentioned in your bio, but there's so much of a human element to that behind the scenes. So what's something really human and normal and oh, daggy oh, about you? It's a great opening <laughs> question. I think for me at this point, which I didn't think would be still a thing, but it is imposter syndrome. I think it's gotten worse throughout my career, you know, almost two decades into my career now. But imposter syndrome, it, it sits so closely to me. It's sitting, you know, to my left right now. And I'm like, just give me a moment. <laughs> so I, I, it's something that I, I used to say it haunts me, but I've, I think I've found a way to live alongside it. But yeah, it's, it's really prevalent in my life. Gosh, it's just extraordinary because people looking at what you've done and what you've achieved and the things you've you know, experience and the people you've met, I think it would be so easy to assume that that never affects your life, that that kind of feeling of self-doubt never touches you. But I yeah, think what I've this... The arms around me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But I love that you phrased it as that you've learned to live mm -hmm. alongside it because once I thought you know, when I first sort of moved out of corporate and into a, an industry I knew nothing about, I thought that as time went on, like I should be stripped of those feelings. I should outgrow them. And when I wasn't, I was like, there's something wrong with me. Like, do I need a psychologist? Well, I definitely need a psychologist, but do I need another psychologist, like a self-doubt psychologist? Or, <laughs> But I think what I've learned is that actually it's a good sign that you're not complacent, that you are you still care about mm -hmm. what you're doing and that you're continually stepping outside of the yep. comfort zone. But rather than ever wishing for it to go away, it's more just learning to acknowledge it and know what to do with it rather than let it kind of control your life. And that's a beautiful way to, to look at it. I think I never had really looked at it that way. I think for me, I tried so long to get rid of it. I was like, I need this out of my life. And the energy that I was exerting to try and beat imposter syndrome was just exhausting. And I just continually felt like I was failing. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to live alongside. I'm going to find a way to live alongside you. It's like, I see you. I yeah, I get it. Give me. And you just need the five minutes or whatever, whatever that little starting time frame is, because what imposter syndrome really is, is just a procrastination anchor, right? Once you start, I kind of, you know, and I say that because I even give imposter syndrome a, a character in, in my book because it's that prevalent to me. But I'm like, once you start on the task, whatever it is, they kind of quieten down a bit. So it's acknowledging and then and moving forward anyway. And then, yeah, I find they, they shush down a bit then. And I also love that you give quite a few different things a name in your book because I think that's also an – actually, it's a really good – like it's funny, but it's also a really good strategy to put a name on things so that then you can acknowledge them more quickly and then get rid of them. But <laughs> one of the things I thought was the most relatable – along the way of your business journey and that whole like from the outside it looks like you've got this massive organization and you're killing it every day but your accounts department lady was Renee, Renee who was you with a different voice sister, really <laughs> and truly the lies that I still tell like when, I'm like oh yeah that's when like we even now I'm like it was no we it was just you like stop Stop the web of lies. So it's such an ingrained lie. <laughs> and I do a lot of public speaking now and I was like, this is what our website looked like. I'm like, 
let me rephrase that. This is what my website looked like. And Renee was someone that I made up completely because I did not know how to improve people. <laughs> I love that so much. What an amazing tactic. It's just so clever. But so I feel like every business owner listening is like, yes, we all have done a Renee. Like that scenario has definitely happened. <laughs> well, like, oh, I had a Cassie. Someone's like, I had an Angela. At least accounts receivable people out in the ether. <laughs> I had a, just a kind regards. Like the accounts department kind was regards. in our signature and it didn't have a name. It was just the department. And I just write kind regards and then leave it because I was like, I don't know what her name is or his name. Although <laughs> I'll forget the lie. <laughs> so the first proper section of the podcast is your weight TA. And that is going through, as you know, as we've touched on, all the chapters that don't necessarily get as much airtime as the you and the chapter you are now. And I think people walk into your life at often encounter you at the highest moments of your life when you know what your purpose is and you're clear on your direction and you do have a lot of success under your belt, but they can so easily forget that everyone started somewhere. Most of the time it wasn't with money or with a foot in the door or with an idea of where you were going to end up. And I find that tracing through all the all that, you know, you talk about golden dust in the book, you get a lot of the gold moments, but it's the dust moments that people find really breakthrough. Like I had no idea you were a TAFE double dropout. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing I think people would imagine from your story. So take us back all the way to young Samantha being raised in Port Macquarie, Mm. what school was like and what you thought your future would look like back then. And then take us through each chapter. Yeah. So I graduated high school in 1999, which makes me sound like I'm from a whole nother century. (laughs) (laughs) You know, growing up, it was, again, a time really before the internet. Like we had a dial-up internet at home. The, the school I went to, Port Marie High School, just had two internet computers, which were for the computer class. And so growing up, all I knew is what I saw. You know, I didn't have this digital portal into the rest of the world at that time. It just wasn't a thing. So what I saw and what I knew was, you know, very blue-collar, hardworking people. And I didn't even know that jewellery design could be a career. I thought that, you know, you, you got a job and I thought really smart people go to university and have careers, so, you know, doctors and lawyers. And that was never me. I was always very, very creative. And so I was like, all right, I'll I'm just going to get a job and I'll do my creativity, you know, things that I like to do on the weekend. You know, there was a time that I went through a phase where I was like, no, I'm going to be a a dolphin trainer. And I'm like, I look back now, I'm like, well, that's awful, firstly. (laughs) It was terrible in science. I'm like, I don't know why I thought that was going to be a career path for me. But, yeah, it was was very insular. You know, I don't say that about in a small town way, even though, you know, small town was where I learned my sense of community and and things like that. But all I knew was what I saw. So finishing high school, I didn't get a UAI, so I was never going to go to university. And I just got a job at our local Prouds, the Jewelers in Port Central Shopping Centre. I was there for just over a year and it was the biggest education on jewellery. I think, you know, unbeknownst to me that that was going to be my career path. I learned so much there and then moved to Sydney when I was 20 and my best girlfriend and I, Melanie, lived together. And as you said, I was a double tape dropout and we were working <laughs> in a retail job and then started making jewellery again in the night times and just as, as a hobby. And then it started to get interest. Like Melanie would bring her friends home from work and they're like, oh, you know, can I buy this? Would you bring all this jewellery over to my house? I'll invite my friends over and kind of this organic like party plan. Almost like, remember like Avon or Nutramedics? Like your mum would. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. It's a bit like that, but with jewellery. And then friends were like, you should sell it down at Bondi Beach Markets, which at the time was a really big launch pad for Australian designers. And I was like, no one's going to pay money for, you know, something I've made on my dining table. And so it took a few, few weekends down at Bondi Markets and it started going well. And there was all these kind of green lights pointing towards it, but I was still in such a fear state of like, oh, no, this is just a hobby. This is, can't be a job. You can't enjoy your job this much. Thing. So that was my early, early experience with it. <laughs> it's really interesting that you said that because I think so many of us do kind of think if we're having a really good time, we're like, oh, this can't be a job. Someone's going to come and tell me, no, this is too enjoyable. Yeah. This is too much fun. Work has to have some kind of painful element to it. But it's also even more interesting that like, I think it's so impressive to walk away from what's conventional and what career paths, you know, the five careers you think exist when you're at uni, right. but to do it in an age where there isn't the social media proliferation of the unconventional pathway. You were still using fax machines at the time. That's even more impressive because it was so far against the grain then to start forging your own pathway. It's much more trendy now, but back then, I mean, I can imagine that people would forget that you ever had a period of dropping out of TAFE and wondering what you were going to do with your life. But I think that's even more exciting that that is where you came from and you still ended up finding a way from beating classes in primary school. I'm sure you didn't think you'd be a jewellery tycoon later in your life. (laughs) Not think that, no. But I think too, I often think about the comparison now if I was starting out now and how different that would look. And I think obviously there's so many pluses to, you know, how accessible I think entrepreneurialism is. Even I remember my first website, I paid someone like $6,000 to do. It was almost like a (laughs) static homepage in 2004. And now I'm like, you can jump onto Squarespace and, you know, launch it in $24 a month, whatever it is. So I think while, and, you know, you can build business on Instagram and things, but it, it can also be like, especially on the social media front, like that compare and despair where you're like, oh my gosh, am, am I not doing it right? Like it's so yes. instant. So I think there's pros and cons to both eras of it, but I think it's definitely something to be really mindful of. You know, I, I'm very guilty of, of the compare and despair even up to this day and the, the rabbit holes that social media can take you down is a slippery slope. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, it's such a double-edged sword mm-hmm. being able to democratize business in a way that anyone can sort of enter. There's really low barriers to entry, but you're right. There are also a lot of spiral areas <laughs> that, that we all have to be mindful of. But it's also something I love hearing about these kind of earlier chapters and businesses that did start on a dining table or, you know, at the Bondi markets. Now it sounds a bit cliche, but that's because that's how a lot of businesses do start. Not expecting some big grand plan was going to eventuate and not having any idea what would come next. But when you're in that chapter, you don't know that the dots are going to connect later on. How did you just keep rolling with the punches? How do you keep yourself, like for anyone else who's earlier in their journey, when you are just at the market thinking, is this ever going to get better? Am I going to grow? What did keep you going? And one of the people we had on the podcast last week is Holly Ransom. She's a Fulbright Scholar and a Harvard grad. She's amazing. But her big message is just put yourself where lightning will strike. Like there's no conventional way to get to the top. You just have to be available and hunt down connections. Like nothing happens for you. You've got to make it happen. So how did you go from the markets to New York Fashion Week? Yeah, you know, and in a similar way, but I would say that it's, you can't really see the next step. You're kind of going blind and it is a, it's blind faith for a reason. And I talk about often, you know, 
sending it across roads is very significant to my journey as I share in the book, but I talk about it in a broader sense where every time we're at a crossroads, be it a huge life decision or, you know, a small decision we have to make day to day, we are standing at that crossroads and choosing between essentially fear and faith. So the, the faith is obviously yes. the leap of faith where you're like, oh man, I don't know what that next step is, but you know, it feels our soul is always trying to push us down our destined path. So I talk about destiny and fate. I'm like, destiny is what your highest potential. That's where your soul is always nudging you to go. And then the decision of fear is like, well, you know, fear is very much thrives on familiarity. It's like, well, if you step down the path, you don't know what if X, Y, and Z happens. And it's always like the, the, um, the bad list of things that could happen. It's never like, wow, imagine the possibilities that could happen. So I think, you know, when we are at any crossroads or juncture there, it's, it's, you know, the familiar, you already know it's time to step forward. I don't, I don't say that like, I mean, it's one of the hardest things we'll ever do in our life throughout it, but your guest said about the, where lightning strikes, it's going to strike on the new path. Like, you know what the current path holds. So put yourself in positions and you might not ever be able to see more than an inch in front of you, but you've got to take that inch. That is, you know, it's, and then it turns into another inch and then it keeps going. But yeah, you, you're not going to take the path less traveled and know how it ends up. It's just not how it works. Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. I always come back to that analogy with a staircase. Like you don't have to see the whole staircase. In fact, you're never going to see the whole staircase at the bottom. Only when you get to the top will you look back and see that all those little steps that didn't make sense at the time, you just have to take one step and then trust that what happens at that step is going to show you what the next step is. And and you might have to be on that step for a long time. You know, I think it's releasing that timeline as well, being like, well, you know, she got there on this time and she did this where it's like, no, you, you, your journey is your journey and the next step will become clear when it's time to become clear. Oh, yes. And I think the probably in some careers, like in my, I call it like past me and present me, me when I was really risk averse and I was living in a corporate world where everything was like five-year, 10-year mm-hmm. plan, when I did know exactly what the the staircase looked like, it removed the possibility of a better staircase coming because I just made no room for anything else. I was like, this is all that's going to happen. And then you'd you're not open to, I love the way you worded it. I think you said cosmic choreography, Mm -hmm. like the stars have this big, great plan. And something else you said in the book that I wrote down and I want to like design it into something (laughs) to put it in a frame (laughs) because it was just so beautiful. The universe only has three answers for us. Yes, not right now, or I have something better in store for you. So even along the staircase, the shit bits that feel like you're tumbling backwards down the staircase. I know you've been through phases of having $80,000 debt or, you know, having your greatest ideas, these beautiful wooden boxes being poo-pooed on because no one thought that that would work. But, you know, those are the things that propel you forwards again. Yeah, I just love love that analogy. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's and I think, you know, as we go through and for so long I would hold on, it's the same as what you're talking about, I'd hold on to this one idea of success and I'd hold on to it so tightly that it was almost like a tunnel vision and that's all well and good in knowing the direction you want to go in but when you do that you just become so blind to all the opportunities that present themselves along the path and I think you know if we can surrender that over being surrender what it's meant to look like and I say meant in quotations because like we're so you know it's got (laughs) this way in this time and you know xyz where it's like hang on if we could just you know set our intention for the direction we want to go and release the grip a bit what is meant for us finds us when we allow it to. We just got to loosen that grip a little bit, yeah. Oh, so true. And trust, I think trust the process yeah. even when you nothing is clear in the moment. And I also love that you you always refer back to 
you know, it took you no less than 12 years to be an overnight success and not all 12 of those years were enjoyable or clear or forward moving. So in that 12-year chapter, and I know you've embarked on a very exciting new one, which is probably where I want to spend the most time today, but just closing off that chapter, like what were the moments that stand out to you the most that got you from the markets to the on sex in the city, you know, seeing the world's most stellar celebrities wearing your product, having this website crash because yes. people couldn't get enough of what you were doing. Like, you know, how how do you reflect now without reading the entire book? Because I feel like everyone should go and read it for all the beautiful nuances and, and details that we didn't know at the yeah. time. You know, what was that 12 years like for you? And how? what do you think made you such a great success from those markets? to the highest highs. Uh, look, and I, I do have to say my business partner, Jeff Bainbridge, who was very much the commercial element of the business and allowed me to be the best creative that I could be. So, you know, our partnership was very much the, the foundation of it, I think. I think what we did as a brand, and I say we as in real people, not Renee and I, but <laughs> real team, everyone that worked on that brand over the 15 years that it was in market, people just literally poured heart and soul into it. It was so much more than just a product. We shared, you know, in the, this case, it was my story, but, you know, the founder's journey, I think, to any business is if you're telling that correctly and you're telling that with authenticity, that's the one thing people can't replicate. They can replicate your product and your packaging, but if, you know, the human element of it. And I think that my book that I've written, the original working title of that was Public Brand, Private Life. And it was originally slated as a hardcore business memoir. And the more that I wrote, I was like, you know, obviously I was always going to share the the highlights and the milestones and the hurdles and things like that. But I'm like, hey, it's that middle element. It's the human, it's humans doing business. It's humans that when we're heartbroken or when we're in grief or when the world doesn't seem to be going our way for months and months at a time, we're the ones still showing up and, and running these businesses. So I think, you know, Sorry, that got completely off topic of, of your question. But <laughs> no, it's still fascinating. <laughs> I think what set us apart was, you know, anyone can, I'm, I'm adamant, anyone can design jewellery, but I think we were really good storytellers and I think every touch point of our brand we were wanting to enchant our consumer. We spoke with our consumer, not to her, and then every single person in that business had that same ethos and, and that's how we treated people. Yeah, I think that's something that came through really strongly in the book is that, you have obviously there's so much practical advice on a scale up perspective that you can give to a prospective or you know business owners earlier in their journey and that's obviously really important and things like delegating the skills that aren't your strong points knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are and like hiring accordingly but the bigger message was the the storytelling and i feel like that does make or break a business more than the actual nuts and bolts of it it was interesting how much emphasis there was on that yeah i think that's the human connection and that's how we see ourselves in others how how others see themselves in our experience. And that, that's not just relative to people. That's the job of a brand is, is to tell that. And so I think with branding, you know, we kind of go out and I think so many people are like, oh, I need to please everyone or I need to, you know, get the biggest audience possible. I'm like, no, you need a small engaged audience. Like if you're pleasing everyone, you, you're probably not living your brand values and you're not living your brand, but you're trying to, you know. So I think it's it's about talking to this Talking with, sorry, a a really like-minded group of people and I think that's what really well. And something a business partner said that I laughed at so much. Well, firstly, he said, for fuck's sake, dial it down with the turquoise, which I thought was hilarious. I'm (laughs) I'm like, the 
glucose is the essence. <laughs> no, never dial it down. <laughs> but also that I think someone asked him, you know, what trends do you see in jewelry or something? And he was like, oh, she just says fuck it to yeah. trends. Like she just designs what she thinks is the brand. <laughs> One of the owners at Paz Paley Pearl. Oh. I was like, oh my God, you can't say fuck in the Paz Paley office. Oh, no, I forgot that detail. Yeah, and he was just so brazen about that truth. And, you know, it was something that I, I couldn't admit, but, you know, he was brazen enough to. <laughs> to say it that way. <laughs> But if you were speaking to young Samantha mm-hmm. at like maybe 21, 22, or even 25 in those earlier years of the business, if there were three things that you could say to someone that you think would, you know, go well for them or help their journey in the next, you know, taking it yeah. through that next scale up chapter, what would it be? Harness your intuition. I think, you know, we've known what the word intuition means through our whole life, but I think we've been raised in a culture that celebrates the logical explanation and celebrates the, you know, the tangible traditional five senses where that kind of squashed down our internal knowing. So I think a lot of the times through my earlier journey, I, you know, I really didn't back myself on things that I, I trusted, you know, not big, maybe big things, but just like day-to-day things. And hearing the intuitive voice is not the hard bit, it's trusting it. So I think cultivating yes. that and really investing in learning the fluency of intuitive nature and I think the others would be you know stop and smell the roses along the way and that was that relates as it relates also to like don't hold on so tightly to to one outcome the most beautiful things are going to cross your path don't be so focused on something that you know you miss those things that that would probably be my two my two big ones to be honest intuitive nature is something that is in all of us it's not you know it's not spared just for the for the elite few we all have it and I think we really need to get back to that I love that you said as what you because I the book is so much about gold and dust mm-hmm. and alchemy particularly as a jewelry maker has always been something that fascinates you I love that you described alchemy as being not about the end of the cycle but about the full spectrum of that cycle and that life is the same I often say yay is a journey not a destination because you'll inevitably get to that destination and then what does it mean if you haven't sort of enjoyed the journey to get there then you're just living moment to moment without any kind of joy along the way so I love that reminder because it's so easy to get so bogged down in, well, what's my next achievement that I need to get to and, and never enjoying yourself? You know, probably the, the second part of that jewellery journey for me was like probably not stop. Not I know I didn't stop long enough and celebrate the wins along the way, but it just becomes this vicious cycle of like, okay, great, we achieved that. Now what's next? And it's like, you're right, like you get to the top of the mountain, you're like, okay, what's next? And you're like, oh, okay. like it's it's. I'm not going to say it's unfulfilling because it was it was what I wanted and it was incredibly fulfilling along the way. But yeah, you got to immerse in those moments because it, it sounds so cliche. It's like enjoy the journey along the way. But that is the point. <laughs> that is the entire point. And I think yeah. you know, as it relates to the alchemy of the human spirit, like you can't have growth without the darkness. You can't have resilience without <sighs> sitting on the depths of that dark floor. Like it, they go hand in hand, and and the beauty is on the the other side of it, but it is the whole spectrum of it. You're right. I always talk about as I get older, I feel like all the cliches <laughs> make sense. I'm like, well, they're cliches because they're they're real, like they're true. They're cliches for a reason, damn it. They land differently, don't they? <laughs> well, before we do move on to that sort of second half of the business, because 
that's the bit I'm really, really fascinated about because that's where it seemed like you had seized your yay and you did have everything you'd ever dreamed of. And it's so interesting that what looks like walking away from everything good has actually been a great liberation and total redefinition of your, the world around oh. you, which I think is the next thing people struggle with is when they have hit the goals they thought they wanted and then don't know what yeah. to do next. But quickly before that, speaking of the darkness and I think the midnight chapter yeah. or something as you call it, but also the lightness, looking back now, what were your midnight moments but what were your highest moments, the ones where it did hit home of like, J-Lo is fucking wearing my jewellery? Like, what does that feel like? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> did that happen? Like, it was wild. <laughs> like, I mean, pink played such a big part in, in my journey. I mean, I share in, in there where she bought our entire collection and we're like, no, we'll give it for free. And she's like, no, we're going to pay for it. Like, I was like, wow. Definitely having product on Sex and the City was surreal. Um, being on Cuba, it, it, all of it still even to, and to have the gift to return to it through writing and be able to sit with each of those moments felt so special to be able to, to relive them again. The Optus ad alongside Mark Warburg, that was, that was wild. it's so hard like I can imagine it being just difficult to describe what that's actually like and I it sounds bad but sometimes the things that I have never thought like the rooms I've never thought I'd be in or the situations I've never thought I would be in it's I'm almost numb at the time yeah because it's so much sensory (laughs) overload that like you know, you come straight out of it and someone will be like, how was it? And you're like, it was amazing, but I can't feel anything yet. Like I'm just no. so, <laughs> my senses just switch off because I'm like, otherwise I'll explode. And it's only like years later that you look back and you're like, what was that? <laughs> oh, it's so true. I don't know. It was every moment of it was was surreal. And, you know, it's, it's often easy to romanticize things, but obviously as as you said, there was yeah. a lot of mid- midnights in there as well. But, yeah, it all, all makes up the spectrum. And then what I get really fascinated about is people knowing when the next, you know, when that next yeah. step in the staircase, when it's time for that. It's a lot easier, I think, when you take a new step because of dissatisfaction yep. because you're like, it's as, this has gotten too far, I'm too unhappy, I'll do something about this. But when it's almost too much of a good thing, it's really hard to walk away from what everyone else in yeah. society thinks should be the dream. But as you mentioned, like if your intuition is telling you, actually, I've grown out of this chapter, it's not serving me anymore, something I found really interesting that you said was that you had become less and less creative as the business grew and rather than a jewellery company, it almost becomes a logistics company and that that's not what you started out for, which is resonated with me because we sold our first business, Matcha Maiden, at the end of last year because I was in a factory with a high-vis vest, not with the customers and not doing the storytelling. But it's a real, like, excuse my language, but it's a head fuck to sort of pull away from the dreams that you've, you know, you've seized your yay and fulfilled your dreams. But then even the foundation, how did you know that you needed something else to what you were doing? How do you know that that's what's, you know? I think we haven't been afforded 
the information that it's okay to close something. Like it's okay to be like, okay, I did that and walk away rather than running it into the death. Yeah. I use Friends, the TV show as an example. I'm like they closed on a high. They honor that legacy. <gasps> and then you see programs that have tried to reboot, like Sex in the City. I'm like, man, they should not have come back. And even though we had product in the movie, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was okay on one level. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I'm like, that movie was so, Sex in the City 2 was such a shit awful movie. It was so bad on so many levels. <laughs> <laughs> Except for your jewelry, obviously. obviously. But I'm just like, wow, what a way to really destroy is probably too harsh a word, but to destroy a really incredible franchise. So I think, you know, for us to close Samantha Wills jewelry, I think, you know, it might have looked like a quick decision because it kind of shocked a lot of people. But it was a two-year journey for me to get to that point. So, you know, after a relationship breakdown, which really threw me into the depths of, of a personal darkness uh, in 2015, I then launched the Samantha Lewis Foundation in 2016 and kind of, you know, that was my alchemy to kind of move through that. And then I, my curiosity was starting to be sparked from my writing on the Samantha Lewis Foundation and at the same time, I'd probably designed, you know, 11,000 pieces of jewellery. <gasps> and I knew at that point I was designing with my hands and not my heart. We were doing, you know, 22 collections a year at that uh. point, I think. You know, 11,000 pieces of jewellery in, I was like, oh, it's just a creative block. You know, that little flicker inside of you that, as all creative people know, it's your lifeblood. It's what gets you up in the morning and runs through your veins. And mine was really starting to, to dim. And I was like, oh, it's just a creative block, like, I know this feeling, you know, six months in, another six months, another six months. And I'm like, okay, shit, maybe this is, this is how I feel forever now. Like it was, it was a very scary place to reside. And because, you know, I ever so modestly named the brand Samantha Will. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> and, you know, we're branding growth and we were, you know, there was no reason to, to even question stepping away from it. I just didn't even think that was an avenue for me. So my thought was like, I need to get this creativity back. And that's what I tried to set about doing. And obviously the time had, had come. And once I finally realized what, what was happening and it was time to close that chapter, I could have sold it. I could have got another designer in and just stepped away from it completely. But I was like, that's not what the brand was built on. The brand was built on soul. It was built on heart. It was built on this, you know, truth about around that. And for me, designing with my hands and not my heart felt fraudulent in a way to me. So. I wanted to honour the legacy of, of that journey. I wanted to honour uh, the people that worked on that brand. I wanted to honour our incredible brand community. And I think that it was just a knowing inside. And I, I talk about like a, a feeling filter and, you know, in your solar plexus area and then the thinking filter. And when you run things through your feeling filter, you cannot fake a feeling. You can talk yourself in and out of anything, but you cannot truly fake a true feeling. And at that time, when yeah. you know, when I made that decision, I was like, it just feels entirely like the right thing to do. So, sorry, a long way around to answer your question. It's <laughs> going inside, and and only you can make that decision as a founder. It doesn't it doesn't matter if you're making bajillions. It's as a creative founder, your lifeblood is is on creative integrity. And if you don't have that, it's it's going to be a pretty hollow existence. And that's such an amazing example of how along the way, I think people's relationship to success mm -hmm. and wealth and material things, like obviously to have a business and to for it to survive, the numbers are important to an extent, but that, you know, you had the chance to sell and walk away with an extraordinarily, you know, huge amount of wealth and with still keeping a big legacy. And I think it was at the time, 
unheard of, really, for someone to close something that had everything going for it, like preempting any kind of problems. There was no indication that it wouldn't go on for 20 years or 30 years longer. And it was so brave because people at the time, I think, still had like that dominant view of success was financial. And so for you to walk away from that, everyone was like, what is happening? Like there's no financial reason. So they couldn't understand. And that goes back to the logic, right? Where it's like, there's like, I remember speaking at an event not long after we announced it and this gentleman stood up and he was an older gentleman. He's like, I just don't understand your logic around this. And I was like, that there is, there is no logic. I can't argue with that. You know, and I think to, to your point, like success changes over time. Like what I deemed as success at 21 is different to 25, to 28, to 32. Like, so success at the end of that journey to me was a personal calmness and a creative flame. Like create creativity to me is a form of success. And I feel like I had done all I could do with, with that brand. So it was time to to seek that out in a new chapter. Oh my gosh, just so, so extraordinarily brave. And I'd love to sort of weave in the next section, which is Natia, and that's all the big barriers to your joy along the way. And you cover them so beautifully in the book. I mean, seriously, look, there's like so <laughs> many tabs. It's actually ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, we've talked, touched on imposter syndrome, self-doubt and comparison, which are some of the biggest themes that emerge. I imagine around that time, that they probably fled more than they ever had because the decision was so questioned. And so looking at other people selling or other people and the way that they'd done it, like how did you cope with the doubt about it being the right decision, doubt about the implications for other people and comparing to what other founders do? I think it was actually a really calm for some reason. I might be a psychopath, I'm not sure. (laughs) It was just such a calm knowing. It was like two years of turmoil and fear and self-questioning and like, this really unease within myself to get to that decision. And then even to the day we closed, it was just a calmness of like, it is time. And I also acknowledge that it was a shock to a lot of people. And I, I really, and I, I think I conveyed this in the book where, you know, in my mind, in the lead up to the announcement of closing, I was like, the world doesn't need any more jewelry. Like we, we you know, kind of like this, almost like a high and mighty, like, like oh, it doesn't, <laughs> you know, this and the other, it doesn't matter about the jewelry. And then when we announced it, the amount of, love and sharing that people within our brand community and that how much the brand touched people and like one of our community members and she's said that I am able to share this publicly and I share it in the book but you know she shares the story of where she was a Samantha Wills jewelry collector and she was in a domestic violent relationship and one was on Christmas Eve or and she had barricaded herself into her bedroom and her partner was, you know, trying to hack through the door to, to get into her. And it was about four o'clock in the morning and he finally got in and smashed her entire Samantha Wells jewellery collection to, to complete dust. And she'd hidden it away and he found it and, he, and destroyed it. And she wrote all this in a letter. I'm kind of reading it with my hand on my heart. And she said, and, you know, I finally worked up the courage after years to leave this relationship and to take an AVO out on him. And she goes, my brother took me to the police station and we filed the AVO. And she goes, and straight from the police station, I went and I bought a Samantha Wills Bohemian Bardo ring. And I was like, what? And she goes, because that to me signified, it was my shield and my sword and it signified my next step and it, it was the rebuilding of what he had destroyed and I was like I take it back the jewelry, the jewelry I was I was wrong and you know in my haste to start a new chapter I think I was too hasty in in that assumption and just it was many stories that just came in that just 
wrapped around my heart about what the brand meant to them. And, and that almost as sad as that was, and people didn't want us to close. I'm like, that's why we're honoring this legacy. That's why we're not handing this over to a, a department store giant to see what they do with it. So it was pretty. Oh my gosh. That ring has just I made a full impact on the world. Like some of the photos in the book of it, all its different iterations. Yeah. And like, there's one where you've got a whole wall yeah. of them. Oh, one million of them through our business, <gasps> 60 colorways in the end. It, it had a life of its own. It was, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And look, this is, you know, yeah. turquoise. See, Jeff, it's turquoise. I told you. See, Jeff, we t- <laughs> the signature. Oh, my gosh, definitely not <laughs> dialing that down. <laughs> so how has it been now that you're like, Another thing that really fascinates me is the concept of identity and then how much we wrap ourselves up in titles and then how sometimes you do, like one of the most liberating things can be walking away from something that isn't what you started it for or that has become so consuming you don't remember who you were before it. What has it been like rebuilding that outside of as a designer, as Samantha Wheels founder of Samantha Wheels Jewelry? You know, like how has it been to sort of recreate yourself? I think it's still... In progress, I think, you know, as I, I share towards the end of the book, I'm like, all I had known my entire adult life was Samantha Wills Jewelry Designer. And, you know, I even lost the name Samantha Wills for a while because it was the brand's name and I just got called SW. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, can I even have that name back after it's been so commercial? So it definitely was a transition process. I think now I feel really calm and at home in in my next body of work, which obviously is a book. I'm just in the final days of our masterclass here to kind of, I think it's still tied to that identity because it will always be my origin story of of this jewellery brand. But, you know, handing that over and and paying it forward in a way to other entrepreneurs that are charting their path. So it feels right is, is, I guess, the most honest answer I can give. Well, the book is just so magical and so I just feel like it really talks to something inside you that if you didn't know you had it, you will after you read the book because it's it's unusual for a business person's book to be so emphatic on cosmic and on intuition, but I think that's probably what we need to do a bit more because we do focus so much on numbers and outcomes and success yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And that is like a very surefire way to not necessarily be happy and to miss all the moments because you're burning out and you're never stopping to celebrate the successes. How have you found like physically managing everything until now really like being pulled in all different directions being a a founder and an entrepreneur who's also Mm -hmm. a speaker and then even in this next chapter being a writer like I'm sure the interview requests and energy pulling you in all different directions like how do you manage burnout you know I say to avoid burnout you first have to burn out so I don't think it's something we seek (laughs) out but I think you can never truly understand the importance of self-care and self-care is you know such a, a overused not overused but used in so many contexts that really it is about self-care of the soul like how are you protecting your spirit from exhaustion and energetic exhaustion I think so for me now I'm definitely listening to my body a lot more I think you know when I share my endometriosis journey in the book um, where I just completely not only ignored when my body was screaming at me every month but like almost despised her for it so now I'm definitely you know 
much more kinder, I think, to myself and listening to that a lot quicker. I still, still got a ways to go, but definitely listening to it a lot quicker. And really, you know, I'm at a point now where it's got to feel right to me. And, you know, I, I hope that doesn't sound disposable because I keep going back to it, but I'm like, what I used to think I should be doing, now I'm like, does it feel right what you're doing? And that's my barometer now. Yeah. So in terms of like what your plans are, I'm sure it was actually quite freeing to let go of like next season, next season, planning and meetings and quarters and stuff to sort of just, I don't know what's coming next. Like, how are you planning for what comes next? And like with the book, what are the bits you're most proud of? What are the bits that were the hardest and what do you hope for it to do? I think, you know, as it relates to fashion, you're always working, you know, four seasons. (laughs) So it was nice to come back to the present for a while. Generally, everything is is still forward planning. The process of writing a book is, is very forward planning. You know, you're kind of submitting it six months before it actually goes to print. But I, I enjoyed the process. I say it was part cathartic, part church confessional part therapy (laughs) (laughs) merge all those together but you know I I said to you before I think with the teleportation like going back and sitting with 21 year old me and you know going back and sitting with heartbroken me and kind of revisiting at those stages was was really nice in a way I'm really proud of the body of work that it is she's out in the world now which I'm thrilled by and I would love to see her adapted off the page in 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 some respect (gasps) that would be amazing I don't know it's been great done a you know had a great book tour so if the book is kind of the handing over of the story then yeah the masterclass is the tactile so it's like here's our marketing calendar here's the structure of the P&L here's all these tangible elements for entrepreneurs that they can apply to their own businesses so hopefully they go hand in hand. I also heard that this incredible picture, which I think fits the entire concept of the book and the messaging and tone behind it, but that this was actually a selfie that you took that wasn't for the cover. <laughs> I know. It was very strange. I, had, I was on a job that day and I had my hair and makeup done and then I was like, Mom, like, check out my nice hair and makeup and took a selfie and that's what they ended up choosing as the book cover. And you did like a full cover shoot yeah. and then intuition was like, this is the one. <laughs> From my phone. We actually, and that was the selfie was what the publisher was like, hey, we want to recreate this in the photo shoot. And obviously, you know, it's, it's quite hard to recreate <laughs> a <laughs> selfie. So, yeah. So, yeah, but they went back to that one, which I, which I really love. <laughs> and something else that you're, I think, surprisingly honest about is also in your personal life, not just the self doubt or the comparison in your orbit, just your relationship with yourself, but also how the role of your relationships with other people, business partners, mentors, uh, people who you've worked with and who have given you intros to other people, but also your partners, which I think as a successful woman who is out in the world doing amazing things, it's actually quite difficult to fall into partnerships where you're not competing, where they give you enough space to go out and, you know, to maybe earn more than them or to be in the spotlight more. Just talk to us about the relationship side of things and how that's sort of unraveled for you and any advice you would have for other young female entrepreneurs who I think are moving into an age where gender roles are different, expectations are different, but it's still murky, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. I think, you know, we're still very much in a time where the ideal of shedding that traditional framework, we can see it, but I don't think it's entirely on our generation just yet. I think it will be on the next generation. But I don't know, I think it's about, it comes down to that internal self-esteem. And, you know, I talk about 
you know, a story in the book where I found out my partner was was cheating on me and it really put me into a deep darkness. But, you know, it was my reply to him when I found out that he was cheating where I said, you know, please don't leave me. And the basis of that came down to that my own self-worth was really struggling. So I think first and foremost, it comes down to to you within and, and making sure that your framework of self is no one else's framework. It's got to be your own. And standing mm. so steadfast in that and being really clear on that because I think that's when you start to attract what is meant for you. I think when we're trying to bend ourselves into pretzels and accommodate things that go, <laughs> you know, outside of our own values and boundaries, that's when we start to attract things that just aren't meant for us at yeah. the end of the day. So I think my yeah, my first piece of advice is don't take on other people's framework. You know, I, I share very honestly, I don't, I'm not even sure if I want children yet. I just went through um, egg freezing to, to give myself, you know, further options. I'm like, you know, the, the traditional framework is, is, well, you meet someone at this age, you have kids at this age, you do X, Y, and Z, and you tick, tick, tick all these boxes. I'm like, whose boxes are they? Like maybe (laughs) what's right for one is not right for the other. So getting really clear on what your framework is and then solidifying who you are. And I think that's, that's the basis of it. Yeah, that's such good advice. And it can be so easy to lose yourself. Like you're out, you know, projecting to the outside world, you're your own woman and you're doing all these things. But we do have an emotional side. We do have a personal side behind the scenes. You can get lost in someone else's framework and ideals if you're not creating any boundaries or even putting time into that side of yourself. And I I think that's something that also happens with our careers is that particularly when you do love what you do and it is unconventional and you do have a lot of freedom over your movement and your time and it doesn't feel like work, you don't bother creating any boundaries for play because like, why would you? Your work's a fun thing. You don't need a break from that. But That's why the last section is your play TA, which is making time to craft an identity for yourself that isn't productive, Mm -hmm. that isn't achieving all the time, and that allows yourself to waste time just because you enjoy a particular activity. And I think as children, we have such a curiosity for the world and we don't let expectations creep in. If we like something that's weird, we just do it anyway. But as adults, we're like, oh no, if I find something quirky, really fun, I'm just going to suppress that because what if I'm judged or what if no one wants to do it with me? But what has your relationship been to play? Do you have anything that you do that just helps you switch off that's silly and <laughs> I think it's such an important thing I remember someone asked me what my when I had the jewelry business and they're like it was probably you know six years in they're like oh what's your hobby and I was like oh jewel- designing jewelry and <laughs> oh, well, that was my hobby but then I never replaced the hobby when I made it my career and so my biggest yes. advice now is like even if you start you turn your hobby into a career replace the hobby like you've got to have something that is non-commercial totally. so for me and I got onto this last lockdown but paint by numbers <laughs> <laughs> I love like I got these like I wish I had one here to show you but like the really intricate paint by numbers and I'm talking like thousands and thousands of little bits you got to color in oh because I'm like gosh. I'm still creative and I truly find that I then create space for new ideas to reach me so it's almost like meditative but creative and there's no commercial requirement at all so Paint by numbers is is my jam at the moment. Oh my gosh, I love that. It's so true. I feel like because so many of us do like our businesses start from a hobby, you just think like, oh, well, that's what I'm passionate about. But even if you don't need a break energetically 
I think just from leaving the business and coming back to it, you have better ideas. Like your creativity is refreshed and my best ideas have happened when I'm away. Yeah. No, it's, and like I say, I get my best ideas when I'm either in the shower or driving on the freeway. So I'm like, you know, now it's a my numbers because your mind's active, but you're not like, oh my gosh, I have to solve that problem. It's just, it allows what is meant for you to find you. So yeah. Get a hobby. Everyone needs a hobby. And I feel like giving yourself permission to waste time, like to do something that would otherwise seem like a waste of time because it's not productive and because you're not like, it's not a waste because you enjoy it. You've had like a full hour of fun that's just pure pleasure. But that's also the traditional framework of, well, it's a waste. Like why do we think it's a waste of time? So I think always questioning our our long-held beliefs to see if they really do service is, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh, so many nuggets of wisdom. Just to finish up, second last question, mm-hmm. uh, is the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in conversation, which is hard since you've just written a book and shared very openly about lots of parts of your life. <laughs> One that I loved yeah. was that one of your first jobs was at the Hogs Breath Cafe, which yes. I think is hilarious, but also playing Cinderella, which yeah. makes me think that you'd be a great actress and you could play yourself in the movie <laughs> interpretation of, of, of Golden Dust. <laughs> yeah, no, I was Cinderella in a, a I'm going to say theme park. That's a loose term for what it was. <laughs> it's called Fantasy Glades in Port Macquarie and it was like built, say, on four acres of enchanted rainforest but it was like four acres of spawn <gasps> land um so that was my job I I had lots of jobs that wouldn't even fit in the book like I was like worked in a galley on a boat I I did, I did every type of different job that you can imagine before I yeah got it together when I was little I learned taught myself sign language like really basic sign language because I'm an only child this this sounds sad but it's not really (laughs) so you could talk to yourself in the mirror (laughs) (laughs) because it used to be in the might still be in the yellow pages in the phone book and I remember mum and dad were doing something one day I was like I'm just gonna sit here and read the phone book because I didn't have brothers or sisters and taught myself alphabet and sign language (laughs) Oh my god, that's so cute! Didn't you also do like flute concerts outside your parents' I business did, or something? Yeah, I've done it all. <laughs> well, that if there's a message to take from that, it's you've got to try everything. To figure everything. out your yeah. yay, yeah. just try things on for size, right? Exactly. Flute, basketball. You're a basketballer. A basketballer, yeah, yeah. An ice cream server and an ice cream server. <laughs> yeah, multi talented. This woman. <laughs> Your LinkedIn is just like way too full. (laughs) And since I love quotes so much, the last question is what is your favourite quote? I think it has to be the one that you said before, which is the universe only has three answers for us. Yes, not right now. I have something in store for you. I think it's no matter whether you have a spiritual belief or if you have religious beliefs, I think it's, it's just surrendering that over to be like what is meant for you is making its way to you right now. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely beautiful way to finish. Thank you so, so much for your time. I could have talked to you for like five hours. I'm going to go and read this book all over again. It is so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you for providing this platform. I think the conversations that you facilitate are so important and I'm so grateful to be a guest on your show. 
Well, she is well and truly one of Australia's golden girls. I took so much out of this amazing chat and Samantha's incredible new book of gold and dust. It's such a beautiful read that feels like she's speaking directly to you with so much warmth and wisdom. And Samantha has generously given the Aberhood a $20 voucher if you want to have a read yourself. You seize the A20 at the checkout before December 31st to get your little dose of golden yay. The link is in the show notes. I can't recommend it more highly. As always, it means so much when you share these episodes, tagging our guests to show them what you thought or any aha moments in your lives that they may have sparked. I've had such lovely feedback about you guys showering people with love. It means so much for them to know where the episode and what their words did for you guys out in the neighborhood. So please get sharing, tagging at Samantha Wills and myself so we can keep growing the neighborhood as far and wide as possible. And I always, always forget to ask, but if you haven't hit subscribe or if you are enjoying listening. If you haven't left a review, it takes just a couple of seconds. And it's so, so important to us to help keep this an independent show growing as far and wide as possible and keep locking in guests like the wonderful Samantha. I hope you're having an amazing week and are seizing your yay.